0: It doesn't matter what type of business you are, what scale of business you are, there's always something you can do. It's all about being being that bit better. So right. being more socially or environmentally responsible. So, and, and there's lots you can do,
1: right? Hi, and welcome to Helping People Perform. The podcast that gives you fascinating insights into those people whose chosen vocation is to help others perform at their best. From consultants to teachers, sports coaches to financial advisors all of my guests share a passion for getting the most out of individuals teams and organizations enjoy the episode hi everybody and welcome to another episode of helping people perform joined today by an amazing guest a good friend of mine and someone i've been working with and talking with for the last year or so strategy consultant with a focus on social value welcome to the show today paul you are hi
0: Paul. how are you doing
1: Absolutely brilliant, mate. and uh, really looking forward to this because I know we've talked a lot about sort of some of the crossovers between what we do and uh, you know, being able to introduce each other to various people. Uh, and it, I think some of the elements of what you do is so interesting and so intriguing for businesses in general. And we're going to come to that in terms of the, the social value element. But I want to start off with what got you to where you are today. So can you tell us a little bit about your backstory?
0: Oh, it's uh, I, I guess I've had a career in in three parts really. The, the the first part was, I used to be a forensic scientist, a DNA profiling expert witness, and um, I guess that came from a uh, an unhealthy interest in in real crime when I was a teenager. But <laughs> but what that did was it kind of set out. That was the goal, right, to be a right. forensic scientist. That was the career I always wanted, and that set out my plan for GCSEs, A levels, degrees. Um, I did a masters, all of that with that that goal in mind. Right. Um, and I got there, and I and I did that for a few years. And actually, the reality of forensics isn't really silent witness or CSI. It's mostly you get a big pile of cases in the morning, and you have to get through them each day. And and the work that I did was pretty kind of low level crime, so like stolen cars and burglaries. And the exhibits you sent in were like a cigarette butt or a swab of blood. So right. there was nothing like it wasn't sort of like exciting. I don't know going to crime scenes and all that kind of stuff. But what did happen was my um, my company bought uh, one of their competitors and they asked for a, a group of people to work on the integration of those two businesses. And I put my hand up very naively and we did lots of really cool stuff like process mapping and org design. I was like, is is this actually a real job? Can I do this in the real world? Yeah. Was like, yeah it's, it's called consulting. I was like, oh, okay. So in those days, EY were rebuilding their consultancy practice basically right. from, from scratch. And a friend of a friend of mine managed to get me an interview in the strategy practice. And that's kind of, I applied and, and got the job. And, and I worked in the, in, in the EY strategy practice for about, um, probably about nine years in total. So my focus was, was mostly on sort of target operating models and transformation programs. Right. Um, and almost all of my clients were government clients or public sector clients. So lots of the big government departments, lots of local authorities, a few kind of secret squirrel security agencies. <laughs> and and I really really enjoyed that. And actually, that time at EY was w- what ignited my interest in social impact. Right. So when I first arrived, people would kind of go. I'd say, oh, so what what do we do in terms of volunteering? And in those days, in the kind of the the late nine the, the late two thousands, um, it was like, well, we're going dig a garden or we're going paint a fence or we do that kind of stuff that like the traditional CSR thing. So um, I was like guys you've got some of the best people in the world at what they do in this building let's try and find ways that we can use those skills more effectively so I kind of me and a few other people created a little group of social entrepreneurs we called ourselves right that try to like leverage some of that and try to to make it a bit more structured and, and formal and, that, and I and just love doing all of that type of work um so yeah so I was consulting for I don't know nearly 10 years and then uh, kind of towards the end, I was just getting a bit jaded with it. So all the travel, all mm-hmm. of the kind of focus on revenues and chargeability and actually just working on some of the, like, these big transformation programs are always high profile. So like I don't know, universal credit or a big kind of IT implementation at a big department, it's all pretty kind of high, high, um, high pressure and, and just quite difficult environments to work in. So it kind of mm-hmm. took its toll on me um, generally. But very luckily for me, in, in 2017, EY did a round of redundancies in the consultancy business. And I very gladly took that. And I left with money in my pocket and kind of a smile on my face and genuinely really good relationships off the having having left on really good terms. Um, so that's kind of like the the second transition and the third part of my career was I decided to set up as a as a freelancer, as a kind of a, a solopreneur. Yeah. Um and 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 that's kind of what I do now, which is a real focus on social impact. But like I say, a lot of relationships that I have back in EY are, re- are really strong, and probably ninety, eighty, ninety percent of my work has actually been back into EY, either as a, a a kind of a subcontractor to deliver client work for them, or to work on internal projects with them. Like, so quite a, quite a, a potted history of
1: a, a yeah. career in three parts, I guess. I mean, hugely interested in that whole view of. I love the backstories of people because you never know where it's going to come from, and that element that we've chatted about it before—the sort of forensic piece—you know, it's a it's completely different, or a scene is seen as completely different to any of the consulting world and things like. That. What what are some of the skills? What are some of the things that you picked up in the world of forensics that maybe stick with you today, or, or certainly did in the consulting time?
0: Yeah, I mean, attention to detail is like the absolute like, and the ability to think in a structured way right so um I say a lot of the cases were were pretty low level but for example there was one I worked on one murder in the entire five years that I I was doing forensics um and it was it was a it was a um someone was stabbed in a nightclub and in those days people could smoke in nightclubs and right. so you can imagine that an emergency situation everyone bails out of the nightclub leaving their cigarettes their bottles their drinks their and you kind of go okay well we think it happened here so you li- literally have to sit down with the um, with the police officers and I guess that's another skill set stakeholder management which right. is re- they really really um, are reliant on you and your and your advice to move forwards in the case so you go these are the types of things that I think would be important these are the exhibits that I think we should examine first these are the and, and you so so there's a bit of kind of the structured approach the, um, the stakeholder management and I guess analytics, that was always something right. that through the early part of my time at EY, being able to take huge data sets. I mean, and those it's very different to what, what people would do today, but take data sets and, and interpret it in a way that could draw insights out of it to yeah. then communicate to a client that this is what we think
1: mm. the,
0: the um uh, the next step should be, or this is what we think you should be doing in future. Um, so yeah, it's kind of those, those are there's there's some stuff that was transferable in fact yes. that's exactly what i had to do in the interview was to try and kind of go i did lots of strategy stuff and lots. i say the word strategy a lot when i'm in an interview <laughs> for a strategy, as a strategy yes. consultant so um yeah i think i guess they bought it and it, and it really helped me
1: yeah oh, i mean just a little nugget there a little top tip for anyone going into uh the interview <laughs> process is get the words that your uh your potential employer is saying get those into your language as soon as you can and it's amazing Absolutely. how much that connects you isn't it yeah Oh yeah, I think that's fascinating in terms of there's a world here of forensics. There's a world of um, of consulting and strategy consulting in particular, and just the ability to connect. What are the things that matter in this world that I can actually add value in that world and have a differential value because not everybody, <laughs> very few people indeed, will have come from the world of forensics. So it's if you're adding that diversity of thinking to uh, to the team as well. So wonderful stuff. Um, so. Tell me a bit then about social value and, you know, in terms of getting into who you help and how you help them today. But I want to start off with what do you mean when you say social value? You mentioned CSR earlier on, which isn't CSR. I know that much. So <laughs> maybe if you can explain those things for, for me in the audience. me maybe. Yeah, so,
0: so I mean, there are there is so much terminology in this space, right? So you've got ESG and you've got CSR and you've got social impact, social value and so on. Um, so social value for me is basically helping people the impact on people and communities really so i know enough about the environmental side to be dangerous so and there's lots of expertise in that that space but it's very technical and very complex yeah. to to be able to go into a client and give them actual advice or support in that space um it, it really helps to have that background and to have developed it um so, yeah, for, for me, it's the people element. So that includes things like health and well-being, includes good work and jobs and, and those kind of mm. elements, diversity, equity, inclusion, all of those social outcomes that, that that are important to me and also important, I think, in the world. And we, we probably don't focus enough on that when we talk about ESG in particular. And I can talk right. about
1: that if you want. Yeah. I mean, ESG, so environmental, social and governance. governance. Yeah. 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 Um. So what my experience because i'm yeah, coming from a manufacturing background as well you know the environmental bit was always a big thing because generally you've got big plants creating if nothing else sort of dirty water that needs to go back into uh the water system from cleaning your plants or, or whatever it might be um what what's what are some of the elements of esg um that are that are important there and what does that mean to businesses
0: yeah I get, I, so like i say the majority of, well the agenda's gone up in, in in people's kind of um minds at the moment there's, there's a lot more roles in esg going going around there's a lot more focus on it at board level um but my experience is a lot of that focus is on the e of, of right. esg the environmental side and yeah. in fact the majority of the focus is on you know, climate change and carbon Mm. Um, which obviously is important, but there's so many other kind of environmental elements like biodiversity, water mm. quality, other things that organizations don't tend to look at. And that's primarily driven by there's that's where the reporting frameworks are. That's where kind of regulatory requirements tend to sit. Yeah. Um so, but but and equally on the the social side, um, there's a lot of the the main focus is on human. And rights and diversity equity and inclusion which like I say are also super important but it does forget about things like health and well-being and good communities and right. um and other kind of like how, how do we make sure that people have good jobs or access to good jobs mm. and, and quality and, and cost of living crisis all of those things sit within the social bucket. But it'd be very rare to go to a big corporate and say, and, and see a, a really well-developed component of their ESG being focused on the social piece. And the governance piece is, is kind of an area that, again, is is a bit outside of my expertise, but there's there's focus on that. And it's really about regulatory and reporting and all that kind of stuff that is, um, I think, mean, frankly, less interesting to me. It's the social bit that I gets really, really excited and, and kind of out of bed each, each
1: day. Right. Oh, brilliant. And you mentioned there about, corporates you know is this something that is just a focus for corporates or is this equally as applicable no matter what the size of your business or uh, are there certain limits at which it becomes a a requirement you know who does it matter to
0: i I think it matters to everyone and there's a there's a bit of a continuum really you you can do what you can do so if you're I, I, i i like working with like big international businesses because that's they're the ones that have got the resources that they can throw at this to make the right. biggest change and I, re- I remember being in a in a meeting many years ago with some of the partners in the government practice at EY and saying to them there there isn't a single global problem that a place like EY couldn't solve if that's all you did right so they, they have I don't know 300,000 people Skill set across mm-hmm. finance, consulting, supply chain, anything—all the skill sets in the world you can imagine—they could solve world hunger if that's all they did with their people for five years, for example. Mm-hmm. um So I love, I love. I mean, obviously, they're never going to do that, but that's the opportunity is there to leverage some of those, those resources. But that's not to say that us like an SME or a, or a startup can't do that as well. So I mean. Th- B Corp's. I mean, have you come across B Corp's and the and the? Concept? No, I was, to, I was going to ask
1: you about that because I, I know of B Corp's, but yeah, you know, tell us a bit more about so, B Corp's. So
0: B Corps are kind of organisations
1: that um,
0: that, what's the word? They they kind of they're assessed on a set of criteria that that tells people that they are a, a social and environmentally responsible business. Um, and so you kind of you go through an assessment process, you get an accreditation, and 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 you can say I'm a B Corp. And that can be any business of any size, um, right. but what it does do it enshrines that kind of people, planet, profit concept within your, your organization. And you have to right. have to change your articles of association to reflect that. Okay. Um, so there's that, the, the number of B Corps, certainly in the UK has just exponentially like, it's exploded like right. every day on my LinkedIn, they, I get another company that I'm familiar with that says, Oh, we've just got our B Corp certification. Um but what that does is it allows you to focus on being a good business, so socially and environmentally responsible business from the start. If you're right. if you're a two-person business and you go, okay, this is important to us. Every decision we make is in, is going to be based on that kind of stuff. So it might be um, the type of like, the amount of holiday you give your staff, or the type of holiday where you work, or the flexibility, or it might be how, which types of clients you want to work with or don't want to work with. And and they're all they're really exciting people to work to organizations to work with from my back from my perspective, because um, whilst the big businesses have loads of opportunity, they're like massive oil tankers that you have to try and shift both mm. culturally, process-wise, all sorts of stuff. So to start telling a, I know, a massive law firm that you're not going to work with any oil and gas companies anymore and you're gonna lose 15% of your overall annual revenue is is really Complex and difficult <laughs> because of the way the partnership model works. Whereas if you are setting up like a, a a startup and the leadership team are all aligned in terms of what they what they want to do and what they want to achieve, then that's much easier. The decision
1: making processes are much easier. Right. And B Corp provides, from what I've seen anyway, that sort of framework for if you want to do this. Here's something, a way of, of thinking about it because we're going to assess you on this. You yeah. can start to think about all those different elements within that. Absolutely. Um, and there's a, a similar bit, if I'm right on there, from the UN uh, in terms of their priorities as well. well can you tell us a bit of that, about
0: yeah, that? Yeah, so the UN Sustainable Development Goals, I think that's what you're referring to. So there's 17 global goals on there that range from kind of no poverty to life um, on land and right. all sorts of different um, they're, they're macro goals and then there's measures underneath those. Hmm. Um, and I actually use that quite often with clients to sort right. of help them understand what's important to them as a business. So what is the social change that they're trying to make in the world? What's the outcome they're trying to achieve? Right. And if you use those goals as a starting point, as a framework, they might go, okay, well, no poverty. That's really important to us as a business. And then when you start to unpick that with them and go, "So, what does that mean for your business very specifically? Yeah. So it might be, okay, we're a Manchester-based organization. No poverty in Manchester. That's a good starting point okay right. so what do you what do you do as a business are oh, we do i know life sciences okay well how does that translate into that goal how do you create a goal that's much more specific and tailored to your business that you can really start to take people on that journey with you but but the un the un development there's, there's so many different frameworks out there um it's not really I, I don't i use them as as a framework as a guidance yeah like a guide rail rather than as a um we're going to solve world poverty it's not right. really uh it's, it's that and i don't think that's what they're there for really is to like it's more yeah, so of a
1: where's your organization aligned to and uh when i've seen it in action it, it's it's more uh you know one of the big concerns that businesses have is we've got to do all these 17 things you know this is far too much for me as a small organization to try and you know solve all these problems um but that's not really the case is it in terms of what the what they're there
0: yeah. for in intent. I mean, it's, it's the same. And and when I talk about doing kind of social impact strategy, it's the same as any other strategy. You could say, oh, we could achieve all these things. I, I imagine your background in the sausage business and in <laughs> F1, you, you don't set goals that are all like, okay, we're going to win the F1 championship this year. We're going to win the constructors championship. We're going to win it for the next 10 years. We're going like, You don't have like this list of endless goals that you want mm-hmm. to achieve you set some key goals and then you work out what those performance measures underneath and how you're going to what the things you're going to do to achieve those goals and that's exactly what I do from a social impact strategy is like what's that end goal then you kind of get down to the next layer of well what resources do you have what's unique to you to uh, that you can put to work to achieve those goals so it might be things like pro bono or it might be things like inclined donations it might be cash it might be volunteer all of those and I have like a very structured framework that I I use with people to make sure they don't sort of miss anything off or don't can or neglect to consider something Mm. but again it's not like you have to do all of these things you have to have like a world-class volunteering program and you have to give millions of pounds into charity and a foundation and you need to have like a really complex supply chain and loads of measurements in there as well so again, it's about what's really important to it. And I guess an example is when I went, one of my, my favorite projects ever was going back to EY and I was the strategy and design lead for EY Ripples, which was their their transformation of the way they did social impact. Okay. And the main focus for that, so again, we worked out the, the things that were important to them was um, supporting impact entrepreneurs, so social enterprise, yeah. working with the next generation of the workforce and supporting kind of environmental um, um, improvement. And then we kind of, I went, okay, well, the main thing that we've got is a lot of people with some unbelievable skills. So it was really focused around kind of in-kind and pro bono and volunteering. And we designed all the program focused on that. And then like the next layer down of the strategy is, well, what's the operating model or the people processes technology that we need in place to make that happen? Mm. So, so it's kind of, sort all well and good saying we want to have a, know, a thousand people volunteering a year. But actually, how, did, how do they find out about opportunities? How do they access those opportunities? How do they get onboarded? How do they get feedback? How do they, what's the, pl- like all of that stuff. Is there a platform for doing that? Or is it a team of people? Right. So trying to work through all of that process and, and, and treating it like a real transformation program at EY in particular was really exciting. And that's what I bring to clients from a strategic perspective
1: in terms of social impact. Brilliant. So if um, if people are working with you in terms of the independent work that you do now, you mentioned you still do a lot of work with ey but if, if we look at all your general client uh, base what sort of engagement what would that engagement look like when working with you and uh and what could they expect yeah
0: I, and i guess a lot of what i do so so strategy is not and I don't, I don't think it's been like this for many, many years, right? It's not where you go, I'm very clever. I'm going to come and tell me everything about your business and I'll come back with a PowerPoint presentation in a few weeks' time. Yeah. It's, ne- it's, it's never, In my experience, it's never been like that. What it is, is I run lots and lots of workshops, write some of the stuff down that they have in their heads. I mean, it seems a bit like naughty, but mm. a lot of stuff that's in their heads that isn't, they're good ideas and it's mm. not structured in a way that makes sense. So I bring that framework to say, okay, let's run a workshop on the top part of this picture, which might be yeah. what, what's the goal that we're trying to achieve. Then we'll run a workshop maybe on volunteering. or run a, So there's a lot of it is facilitation, all of it is dialogue. A lot of it is helping them corral stakeholders and message to stakeholders what's important. So right. w- when I talk about social impact, obviously you something has to give in that kind of like graphic equalizer of financial value, social value, people value, client, all of that kind of up and down it's going to cost you some money. So you're going to have to go and write a business case for it. So I can yeah. tell you what to put in this business case based on my experience that will be valuable to you. Um, So, yeah, I mean, uh, that that's the way I go about my business is helping, j- just facilitating primarily and writing some stuff down that makes sense.
1: Yeah. No, and, and bringing that structured approach is a huge amount of value to organisations who... As you say you might have individuals who've all got these great ideas as to things that are important to them you know and um, i'm talking from my own experience here but it might be around uh, a personal bit where um, maybe some family member is in a uh, has a particular type of care or issue you might be part of a um a community group or something that you want the business to work towards but actually how do you get that business to to do that and is that appropriate for the business how do we get it the story told and the, the momentum behind it to really shift the dial. And uh, I think having somebody who's got the experience of helping people through that is going to be an invaluable service. So uh, hats off to you on the, on that. Side, so. And
0: I, re- I really enjoy it. and And I guess that's one of the reasons I like working in this space is the people. Right. So the type of people you come across, whether it's uh, in corporates where people are kind of engaged in this agenda and like they might be in the CSR team or uh, the ESG team, they're always very smart, very passionate, very empathetic. And they're basically the kind of people I like to hang out with. So it's always, they're, they're always a good client. There's, it's very rare that you kind of go, um, like well, you, you don't you don't get many nasty people in this space. So let's, let's put it that way.
1: Right. No, good. And uh, yeah, some amazing work. And I, I really encourage people to, uh, to to reach out. We'll talk a bit more about that in, um, towards the end as well. But to find out more and find out what you can do, because there's so much that you can do even at a small level that has a a big difference and a a big leverage point. So um, um, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, uh, as a consultant, you're always helping other people, you know, and this whole podcast is about helping people perform, but I always like to ask my guests, how do you help yourself perform? What are the things that keep you on top of your game?
0: Um, That's a really interesting question. And it's certainly changed from when I was a forensic scientist and when I was at EY. Right. So in those days, you would have a lot of development opportunities presented to you and it was really up to you to grab hold of them whereas now and you'll recognize this there's always that trade-off between um chargeable like delivery doing the the chargeable stuff that brings the money in business development and then you kind of go okay so what time is left for me to to improve myself so there's a trade-off in there but it's something that i absolutely keep that time for um and, and i guess There's so much more for me to learn both. I mean, I talked about kind of the environment side. It's like very technical and difficult. I've still got to learn some of that to keep relevant. And there's a lot of development in the social space that I just need to keep up to date with. And also kind of emotionally as well, like just Mm -hmm. how I present myself and how I kind of come across. Like I'm certainly not the finished article in terms of being a a consultant. There's lots of development areas that I've, I've still got. Um, So, I mean, I, I, in terms of the actual specific tools, I, I read, loads so it's it's, that's the easiest and the cheapest way to develop yourself is in my view so whether it's blogs or books or whatever and podcasts as well i I love a podcast or whenever i'm exercising or traveling i've always got a podcast on the go so um and and there's all sorts of different different whether technical ones or kind of things that are like more um uh just, just more general things and they don't they're not always sort of like this I don't only listen to business podcasts or things that are going to help me through the day but they kind of balance me out in different ways um I guess I've, I've done one paid for training course which was pretty expensive overall and that was on being a design sprint facilitator okay. which was just another it was like a real kind of practical process and, and whilst I don't run too many design sprints end-to-end mm. anymore Almost all of the components are really helpful. It's like some brilliant facilitation tips, and there there's some really good structured exercises that you might use. And I, I, and that's paid for itself like ten times over now at, at least. Um, and I guess the 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 most important way of self improvement is the networks that I'm part of, and you and I are part of the solopreneurs network, which is um, that kind of that group of one one person organizations and we help each other with whether it's a shoulder to cry on or a virtual fist pump but a lot yep. of kind of networks and connections and just sharing tips and hints i mean we went from i think we started off with maybe five or six of us mm. now there's at least 30 40 people that might join us once a month um and and we've all been through some of that pain that these people that are just starting out on their careers are experiencing and even and 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 the idea of having people from different backgrounds and different industries is yeah. incredibly helpful so we're not all consultants we're not all there's some coaches in there and you go okay well i need to find a, a, a my clients asking for a coach that's really yeah. helpful or how do you how do you do this in in your industry um all of that stuff is is really important and I, and I and i guess the other network that i've got is the one that i built up at ey so a lot of my peers are now either partners at ey or in other firms which is brilliant obviously for kind of creating business opportunities yeah. but also like they are, they are a version of my general client as well. So you can go and say, "Okay, I'm not trying to sell this to you specifically at EY, but I've got this new offer that I was—I just wanted to test with someone. Would you mind giving me some some honest feedback on it and, and see how it lands and what you would change about that?" Um, so that's kind of um, all. You, all of those things are simple, cheap ways of me learning and growing every day. And I guess there's two probably two gaps that I'd like to do something about this year. The first is I feel like I kind of need more of a formal mentor or coach. Sometimes I can get lazy. So it might be, okay, here's my to-do list. I've got all these contacts I need to get in touch with, but actually I sometimes don't hold myself to account as well as I could do. So it'd be nice to have an external voice. That's not my wife nagging me because that's kind of how it can feel sometimes because even though she's absolutely right (laughs) <laughs> it kind of sounds you want you want someone who's like gonna tell you off um in a different way. Um and and the other and the other side of it is to kind of I I often when times are quiet, I might flip-flop between things and kind of go, okay, this is what I'm gonna try and achieve. Here's the plan. Mm. And then I might go, okay, that's not working. So now I need to uh, so having someone else to kind of go actually stick at it for a bit longer, or maybe you're right, you should be swapping over the focus right now. I think that would be really helpful. I'm not entirely sure whether i need a mentor or a coach yet, but I, I'm going to speak to lots of people, certainly within the telepreneurs Network, that might be able to help me work out which one and potentially be that coach. Um, and I guess the second thing is, um, I know a few people that have been on kind of startup accelerators and like small business accelerators. Yeah. And I'm wondering whether that would be valuable to me just from a... To get some more technical skill set and also that mm. broaden that network as well in a, in a different direction with different organisations. So
1: yeah.
0: those are the the two areas of focus that I think I'll put on in terms of my
1: own performance and uh, over the next next few months. I think I mean that's certainly uh, I applaud you for the sort of self reflection and identifying those gaps. I think is a big thing that people can be blind to, um, but also you quite often you know it. But you're not challenging yourself as to really is that something i need to do something about mm. um but those tips that you said about reading you know re- reading listening to podcasts uh, you know uh, listen reading blogs and things like that you know as, as you say a really cheap and useful thing that anybody can go out and start doing um mm. so and and the network piece I just did a, uh, a solo podcast episode recently on collaboration and the value of being able to work with others um and even even if it's not working with them it's having that opinion to bounce off people or someone's got a little bit of experience, you know, pick up a little tool here or there. It's just like, right, if you're going to be starting off a, a webinar in the next couple of weeks, you know, it's like, oh, we, I, I found this framework really helpful. I found that approach really good. You know, look at this training here, you know, just the stuff that you're not aware of. If you're too focused on your own thing, it can be a, a detrimental to your performance.
0: Absolutely. I think it's sometimes. So I'm sat in my office today on my own. I might get an email saying, oh, we'd like you to come and work with us for the next six months. It's like this big victory, this big win that you get. And you sort of yeah. look around and go, who am I going to tell? We're sometimes times. it's nice <laughs> to have that network of people who go, oh, i have to start. And you go, oh, well done, great stuff. So it kind of gives you that momentum and that that support. Um, and that, and I, I find that, and I think on the um, the reading front, it's not always, like you don't read the book to take it all in and to understand everything. Kind of, okay, I get done that, park that? sometimes it just triggers a thought and you go, ah, that's another reason why. So when I'm talking to a client about this, I might say, um, here's another element that might benefit you if you did this right, because I read it in this, in this book, you might take away one sentence or one paragraph from that, that book, but you kind of need to just keep taking stuff in to be able to, to
1: move forwards. Oh, wonderful stuff. And, uh, and let's, let's try changing the angle a little bit in terms of, uh, you know, we talk about clients and working with clients who, in terms of who you would like to help with the skill set and the experience that you've got, you know, who would you like to help perform?
0: I mean, this is a really easy one. So I'm absolutely passionate about sport, and in yep. particular, rugby. Um, and one area, I mean, one client that I would love is the RFU, so the English rugby, okay, to, to help them get strategic about social impact. So. Mm. I mean, the rugby landscape in the in, in England is a, is a bit of a, a basket case. I guess it's not really much of a secret, but there's so much value in being a rugby player at any level or being involved mm-hmm. with a rugby club at, in, in the community and those kind of things. Um, there's lots of good resources that they deploy to help drive social impact right. um, in through rugby, but it's very piecemeal. So it's kind of like mm-hmm. they'll tell the story around play rugby because it's good for your health and well-being. But they won't necessarily talk about, well, actually, what could we do in terms of growing um, growing local businesses and help, helping create jobs behind the bar at a rugby club, like all these kind of different elements that they could support and cascade down. So they could have like a strategic framework and cascade it down to make it available to lots of grassroots clubs. That would be the dream client and the dream gig. Um yeah. I've had conversations around it in the past, but it's just one of those things that kind of is going to take a long time and a bit of a burning platform to to make happen.
1: Right. No, wonderful. And I know you do some work with an organisation in the sporting arena already, Futureproof. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe tell us a little bit about those guys and what, what you're so, doing yes, from there. So Futureproof are, are amazing. So they
0: they're set up by a couple of guys. One was a, a former um, England rugby player. He had a couple of caps. A guy called Tom May. And another guy called Tom, um, James Hitchman, who comes from a recruitment background, and they sort of came together and were like, actually, there's a big gap here, supporting athletes when they retire, transition into kind of sustainable employment. And I came across them just on LinkedIn, actually. And I came across a post of theirs, and what they were describing from an athlete's perspective was very similar to what I see in in the work that i do so it might be working with young people from a disadvantaged background they Mm -hmm. face very similar barriers to employment so a lack of a network a lack of understanding of the job market a lack of the kind of the skill set around applying and identifying roles that are suitable for them and creating cvs and a lack of a linkedin pro all of that stuff is very very similar and i was like well i've designed programs very specifically tailored to to address those problems. Maybe I can help you do the same. Right. And that's how I got involved. So now I kind of work with them on a kind of a, a, design, a program design and delivery perspective um, that tries to really nail down what those barriers are and the interventions that we can put in place to work with, whether it's a football club or a rugby club. And my, and my um, like I say, my real passion is, is, is actually kind of women's sport. And I think yeah. now is the time to be investing in women's playing careers to prepare them for that transition down the line. So yeah. Tom and James are fantastic to work with. They've got some incredible contacts. They've got some incredible opportunities going forwards. And um, it's, it's just something that I'm, I'm really enjoying being part of.
1: Oh, wonderful stuff. Wonderful. And uh, um, yeah, if we've got anybody listening from the RFU as well, you know, get your, pull your <laughs> finger out and uh, contact Paul yeah. <laughs> here. Um, so if uh, let's switch that question over a little bit then, in terms of if you could sit down, have a drink, have a meal, with somebody that you think you could learn from that would really lift your performance, who would you want that to be?
0: Um, I, I don't know. Do people normally say like Gandhi or David Attenborough or something? Oh, we, we've had like... all, we've had all sorts
1: right? all <laughs> some, sort.
0: some of all sorts. So like yeah, Martin Luther King or something like that. But um, I mean, mine is probably much more practical, I guess. So I, I spent a bit of time a year or so ago working with Lane Four, um, who are yes. like, a leadership and learning development company, yeah. and they were um they were merged into EY again. And I worked on the integration of those two. And the the leadership of lane four in particular, the guys that came over yeah. were just exceptional, like re- like really uh, kind of inspirational, experienced, like really technically capable. Um, but we spent an awful lot of the time talking about how can we help them create a team that's, that's, that's going to be high performing? How can we build their work on their performance? It would be amazing to spend a little bit of time with that leadership team To help them kind of help me perform and help me understand how I can improve my performance because a lot of them have sort of both sporting heritage as individuals and psychology background and and a few of them have a bit of both so it's it's just such a really powerful kind of um, leadership and performance development kind of combination to bring. So, i mean and I, I know, again I'd, I'd encourage people to work with them if they can um mm. but they'd be the ones that i would love to sit down and spend some time talking about me rather yes. than talking about them and
1: their business <laughs> yeah i had the uh the privilege of working with lane four at my time at mclaren and uh so let's give a, a big shout out to paul langton rose and andrew gillespie who i, I worked with uh, a little while back but yeah um, amazing team as you say and the expertise and the Uh, the ability to drive that expertise in a meaningful manner and an engaging manner. I I don't think I've worked with many businesses better than that. So uh, yeah, I certainly hear you on that one. (laughs) Um, So I've got one final question before uh, we we talk about how people find out how to contact you, which is if you had one lesson or one thing that people should leave uh, thinking about regarding social impact and social value, what's the one thing you'd like them to leave this podcast considering or, or thinking. I, I
0: guess that the big one is it, it doesn't matter what type of business you are what scale of business you are there's always something you can do it's all about being being that bit better so right. being more socially or environmentally responsible so and and there's lots you can do right so it's not just about giving money to charity or running a bake sale but if that if that's what your capacity allows you to do do it right. It's doing something in the right direction, but there's lots of other things. I mean, when if, if anyone ever wants to just pick up the phone to me or drop me a note and say, okay, we're like a two-person business doing medical sales, right? right. What could we do? Right. I'll send you. I'll send you the framework. You can have it for free. Have a look at it. Tick it off and see if there's anything in there that you can do that's um, that can add value. I mean, I, I, I that's the one thing is doesn't matter how big you are, doesn't matter how small you are. There's always something you can
1: do. Brilliant brilliant a great lesson for any of us and um, so i mean that flows nicely then how do people get in touch where do they go to find out uh, more about what you do and, and get in touch with you
0: i mean absolutely the best place is linkedin so right. look me up um on linkedin and it's um you'll see some hopefully some interesting posts i do a lot of kind of post re- replying to other people's posts which triggers conversations. It's always it's always a nice nice way to operate because yeah. I don't know it all. I don't just chuck out kind of content out there that's like, this is how you should do it. There's a few bits and pieces, a lot of kind of snippets of um, my experience that I put out there that hopefully is useful to some people. But absolutely, just drop, I, I connect with anyone who wants to connect with me. <laughs> I will talk about this for hours and hours on end. Um, and I just, I just, I love it. So reach out to me on LinkedIn. That's absolutely the best place to
1: to find me. And I can't recommend that enough, you know. And I I continue to recommend Paul for any of the organizations where I see even a glimmer of opportunity in here. So uh, do get in touch. Um, Paul, as always, absolutely fascinating and really appreciate you sharing one to educate me and and the audience a little bit about what social value, social impact is, but more inspiration about what we can do and the things that we can uh, do to move things forward and make a difference. So uh, thanks for being on the show today, Paul Yoannan. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, then please give the podcast a rate, review and share. I'm Paul Teasdale, and from sausage making to banking, oil and gas to Formula One, I help people perform. If you'd like to find out more and have a conversation, contact me via helpingpeopleperform.com.